0: Some of you have heard portions of my own personal testimony, and and some of you may have heard this part of it, but it really fits into today's passage. And by God's grace and providence, I grew up in a Christian home. We were one of those families who showed up at church whenever the doors were open. I never knew a time when my mom and dad weren't involved in some type of ministry. I was told I received Christ as my Savior when I was around five years old in my Sunday school class. I absolutely have no memory of that whatsoever. However, I also do not remember a time in my life at that time when I really ever cared about anything spiritual. All I cared about was me and what I wanted from a world that I thought offered so much. I went to children's events and Youth events, and I was, as I said, in church multiple times a week. I went to camps, but there was no spiritual desire whatsoever. The only reason why I really enjoyed youth group, because there was a lot of pretty girls there. That was it. I mean, there was, I went and enjoyed that. I never cared about what was being taught from God's Word. And this all changed when I was around 18 or 19 years old. That is when God got my attention. And how did he do that? In his providence, he led me to join the military. And he used the military to bring me to a point where I had to make a choice. You see, in the military, I could do what I wanted when I was off duty. I didn't have to go to church anymore. I didn't have to go to youth group anymore. I could play softball. I could play football. I could sleep in on the weekends and just generally fool around with my friends. However, by God's providence again, there was this short, feisty little woman in my life that wouldn't leave me alone, my mom. Uh, Whenever I called home, she would ask where I was going to church, and I would make up some excuses why I didn't go most of the time, and she would always say, I knew better than that. You weren't raised like that. And sometimes I would go to church just so I could tell her that I did and wouldn't have to come up with an excuse that week. At that same time, around this same period of my life, there was also another young lady that God had put in my life to help lead me to Him, and that was my wife, Kathy. We were dating off and on during this time frame, and I always had a a thought bouncing around in the back of my head that when we had first Begun to know each other, we, I was walking her home from something, I don't know. remember where, from the school to her house, and she said that God had answered her and her cousin's prayer because they had been tired of dating non-Christian boys and had decided and prayed to God that they would never date another non-Christian boy, and then I showed up and I was a Christian, and so she felt really good about dating me. I got tired of playing the game. I got tired of having to make excuses to my mom and knowing that I really wasn't being who Kathy thought I was. And that's when my life began to change. You see, I had to decide. Tell mom and Kathy I just didn't believe in that church stuff or believe in that church stuff and start living like I did. I knew what I wanted to tell them, but something inside of me wouldn't let me. By God's grace, he had opened my eyes to the truth of God's word, He had made me spiritually spiritually alive so that I could see who I really was, a guy who needed a Savior. And it was during that time that I finally came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Before I had acknowledged Jesus Christ and the gospel that I so much needed, I knew what God's Word said because I grew up listening to it in hundreds, if not thousands, of situations growing up but it was never a saving knowledge. I had just heard God's Word. I had just heard the Gospel. I had never become a doer of the Gospel. This is what James is going to help us to understand this morning. He's going to help us see that genuine, saving faith is always a faith that hears the Word and can't help but live out that faith as a doer of that same word you cannot be a hearer and not a doer there is no option and James is going to help us see that so if you would stand this morning we're going to read James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 it's on page 1,289 of your pew bible if you want to look at there He will be the one that is blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that James writes to his dispersed flock that has been so challenging and eye-opening for us. Father, I pray that as we look at being doers of God's word this morning, I pray that you would convict us, that you would help us to understand that this is a mark of who a Christ follower is in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I've never preached through this book before, this book of James, and I wish I had done it years ago. It's so practical and applicable to our lives, and it is written by a pastor who loves his dispersed flock so much that he reaches out to them to warn them and to encourage them. At the beginning of our series here in James, we concluded that this pastor, James, is James, the brother of Jesus Christ. And we came to understand that he is writing to those of his congregation who were dispersed because of persecution. He is concerned about how they are going to behave as Christ followers in their dire situation. He has a pastor's heart. He says, I know they're struggling and I want to reach out to them and help them stay on the path they should be. So he writes them this letter that we're studying and outlines how they were to behave in various pagan cultures that they had fled to. He wrote in such a way that his letters would be used as a mirror to check how they were doing. And so far we've seen that when a Christ follower places his daily behavior before the mirror of James' letter, they're going to see a few things, and we're not even out of chapter 1 yet. They're going to see that they're going to grow in their ability to count it all joy when they're facing trials. They're going to uh, grow in their ability to ask God for wisdom to handle those trials without doubting that He would provide it. They're going to be able to grow in their ability to see that their temptations to sin comes from within themselves and not from God, and they need to blame themselves and not God for the temptations they are struggling with. And then last week, there are, Christ followers are going to grow in their ability to uh, receive God's Word into their hearts because they were keeping their lives pure which would help them be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, James is going to continue. In our passage this morning, James is going to confirm a life truth I believe we all consider true. And I really like the way John MacArthur states this truth. The character of a man is to be basically decided by his conduct. The character of a man is is to be basically decided by his conduct. And we're going to put it this way. The character of a man is to be basically decided by his conduct. Think about that. Who a man or woman is on the inside determines how they behave on the outside. And God's word over and over and over affirms this truth. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. The daily life that we live then we look at matthew chapter 12 verses 33 through 35 either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for from the for the tree is known by its fruit you brood of vipers he's talking to pharisees how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. That's really clear, isn't it? You're not going to get two things coming out of the same, two fruits coming out of the same heart. Matthew 15, 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Then Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And we could go on. There's numbers of other verses that speak to this same theme. The Bible clearly makes the point that what's in a person's heart will be revealed in their behavior, period. Speech heart desires, life priorities, emotions, and such reveal the true heart of a person. And since this is true, then it stands to reason that behavior becomes a very revealing test of genuineness of one's profession of salvation through Jesus Christ. That truth is real for everything, but the truth that we're looking at today is because that axiom, that truth claim, that what comes out of your heart reveals who you really are, That applies to our salvation in Jesus Christ. Because how we act, how we behave, and that's what James is talking to his dispersed flock about, how you behave in the pagan societies are going to determine, are going to reveal who you really are on the inside. When you or I look in the mirror of our spiritual lives, our behavior reveals if our faith is truly genuine. And that is what James wants his flock to know in our passage this morning. And James continues, as he has so far in chapter 1, a flow. And he keeps connecting different ideas with similar words. And in verse 19 of chapter 1, he writes, Know this, my brothers, let every person be what? Quick to hear. And then he talks about that. And then down in verse 22, he connects that portion of his letter with the word here again but verse 22 but be doers of the word and not what hears. again we see that word connection that he's been doing all the way through the first chapter what does he mean by being doers of the word we can put it this way christ followers obey god's word when they receive god's word that's what it means to be a doer christ followers obey god's word when they receive god's word That's a life behavior. It's not something that we can just lay aside and live like we want. Genuine faith always leads to obedience to God's Word. True salvation is always attested to by godly behavior. This is always true. Always. Yes, we sin. Yes, we behave wrongly at times, but when we receive the word of God into our hearts and minds, it reveals bad and it reveals bad behavior. Then we as Christ followers submit to God's word, confess our sin and change our behaviors. We just don't keep living the way that we want. God's word speaks to us. God's word moves us if we have genuine faith. If we are Christ followers, we do not make excuses for why we are behaving badly. We don't blame our behavior on a situation or a person. We confess and change our behavior with the help of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22 again. But. The word but causes us to stop and consider. We are to develop pure lives, as he's been talking about in verse 21 and above, so that we can be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, so that the Word of God can take root in our lives. But, as James writes, James writes, there's more to it. There's more than just receiving God's Word into our hearts and minds. The proof that the Word of God is actually growing within us is that our behavior changes. We begin to be doers of God's Word. There is no assurance of salvation if you are not seeing God's Word changing the way you live. There is no assurance of of a genuine faith in your life, if your life is not influenced daily, day in and day out, by God's Word molding and moving you. Are you going to have difficulties? Are you going to sin? But yeah, but when you do, God's Word again convicts you. This is another one of, as we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, 60 Commands that we five in James' small letter, he says, Be a doer. This is not an option. Christ's followers will always be characterized by having a doing life based on God's Word. The word doer here, James uses, uh, gives us the idea, being a doer, he says, is the idea of submitting to the Word's authority and complying with its requirements. It's the idea of submitting to the words of authority and complying with its requirements. In other words, if you claim salvation in Jesus Christ, you will obey what God's Word says unconditionally. It will be, God said it, I believe it, and what? I'll do it. There is no sense of, let's talk about this. There is no sense of, well, you know, this is why I don't, or this is why I do. The idea is, God's Word says it, the Holy Spirit moves me to obey that Word, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to accept it at face value and start making those changes in my life right now. God's Word is so clear on this. It is so clear. Look at what it says in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who what? What? does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Where do we find God's will at? Right here. This is where we find it at. It says, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says, I am a Christian. Not everyone who says, I walked down an aisle or I said a prayer is going to go to heaven. It is only those whose, word, whose lives are changed by the God, God's word who does the will of the Father. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What's the other side of this coin? If you don't do his commandments, you do not love Jesus Christ. Period. Pretty cut and dry. John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Again, what do we see? The part and parcel of a Christian's life is obeying God's word at face value. 1 John 2, 3-4, through four. And by this we know that we have come to know Him. By this we have come to be assured of our salvation, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. How black and white can it be? This isn't Mark Hardenbrook uh, taking James' words and twisting them to mean something that is on my heart or that I feel very distressed about in so many people's lives that I see and love and hear. It's that God's Word repeats it over and over and over. You don't love Jesus Christ if you don't do His commands. You cannot be assured of your salvation if you don't obey the commands of God. John, 1 John 3.10 By this it is evident who the children of God? Well, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Is this going to be black and white? How black and white is this? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, what is practicing righteousness? It is practicing God's revealed will in his revealed word which leads us to a life of righteousness. Over and over again. Here's another one that I don't have a slide on. You are my friends, Jesus says, John fifteen fourteen. if you do what I command you. What's the opposite side of the coin? You're not his friend if you don't do what he commands you. Then we have the last one, and such a telling one, Romans 2:13, "For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God." Hmm. It's not the hearer, the ones who hear God's word that are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be made justified who will be right with God." Because you heard the word of God, because maybe you were emotional one night at a camp meeting. It doesn't make any difference because just hearing it and just having uh, an emotional reaction or being hit by it that night, it makes no difference if your life does not begin to do God's Word because it is the doing that shows that God's Word actually changed you. Obedience of God's Word, His commands, listen to this, is the most basic requirement for all true believers. Obedience of God's Word, His commands, is the most basic requirement for all true believers. I'm going to quote John MacArthur one other time because he just said it so well. He makes a comment on his life. It took me a long time to find out that the bottom line in the spiritual life is not some momentary commitment. The bottom line in the spiritual life is some long-term obedience. That's the bottom line. Even the way that James writes the Greek in verse 22 leads us to see this truth. We could translate verse 22 this way, but keep on being doers of the word. It's not just doing now or doing next week. It is keep on doing God's Word. That is the mark. It's one who keeps on doing and keeps on doing and keeps on growing. That is the mark of a true Christ follower. The lives of Christ followers are characterized by a continuous, consistent, lifelong growing obedience to God's Word. And this is true because every Christ follower has the Holy Spirit living with them and he ensures that each one of God's people grows in spiritual obedience. And if there is not a growth of spiritual obedience in your life, there is no way you can be sure that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And we go back to what we said before. Christ followers obey God's word when they receive God's Word. If someone is claiming to be a Christ follower, hears God's Word, and then doesn't obey God's Word, what does James say? Look at verse, the last part of verse 22. But be doers of God's Word, not hearers, only deceiving yourself. If you are only a, hear, a hearer, and you think that you have a genuine saving faith, And that's all you do is hear, you're deceiving yourself. You are self-deceived. I want you to notice that James doesn't mince words here with his writing. He's laying it right on the table. I'll kind of put it in today's vernacular. This is what he's, the idea of what he's saying. My beloved flock, I know you are in dire circumstances. I know you are hurting I know you feel alone. I know the deck is stacked against you. I I know you have all kinds of reasons that life is not fair, but obeying God's Word is not an option. Bottom line. That's what James is telling us, folks. The Greek word for deceive here that we find in that verse, in the last part of verse 22, means to miscalculate. If you think hearing God's Word is enough to bring you to salvation, then you are making a grave miscalculation. Hearing God's Word does lead to salvation because there can be no salvation without the hearing of God's Word. I want you to understand that. Salvation comes through the hearing of God's Word. But the proof, the litmus test, that the hearing of God's Word really did lead to a genuine saving faith is a growing desire to obey the Word that brought you to salvation. These words are so needed in each of our lives today and in so many lives of the people who live around us. These words are needed by people who are in this church this morning and in churches throughout our area this morning. Enjoying well-preached sermons, enjoying the intellectual challenge of Bible study, enjoying the emotional exhilaration of biblically-based worship are merely self-deceptions If nothing happens in the way you live, your life in obedience to God. James isn't done. He's made his point. It's there. It's clear. It's biblical and supported multiple times throughout the Word of God that we have today. But he's now going to move on to a graphic analogy in verses 23 through 25. Look at what he says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is he looks like a man, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But one who looks into the perfect law of the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want to point out a few things that will help us better appreciate what James is writing. In verse twenty three. Some of your translations will put it this way, but many just uh, say for. You can circle that word for and put because. Either one works. But because helps us understand a little bit better because it would read like this. But, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word, that's what his point is. Because. And not all of your translations has, has the phrase that the ESV says here. He says in verse 23, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not, is not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently. In some of your translations, uh, actually many of them, you will not see that phrase, looks intently. You will see that he just looks. The idea, or he, he, is, he is looking intently. It's not just a cursory look. He is looking for something in a close-up way we know what that looks like i mean i don't do it so much anymore because i don't like what i see when i just look in the mirror in the mornings it kind of reminds me of where i'm at in my time of life but we all have a chance you know we kind of sitting there shaving or doing whatever you know brushing our teeth and something catches our eyes what was that do you just kind of walk out of the bathroom and don't care or what do you do you kind of move up closer, and you kind of start pulling the skin back, you know? What, what did I see? And you start looking like this, and you start, that's what we do, isn't it? We're trying to find out what we saw in the mirror that was kind of distressing. And that's what it means. He says, they look intently. He says, look intently. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural faith or his birth faith, birth, birth face in the mirror. A man who only hears, takes a mirror and looks at it intently. He looks at his natural face, his birth face. And the mirrors that they used then were usually very polished bronze, but that was still a very, very low-grade mirror. And they would have to turn it and move it and stuff like that to really get a good sense of what they look like. And the idea here is that they're looking intently in a mirror that reveals what they are as a human being. And what does a mirror reflect about us as human beings? We are imperfect. We are sinful. And that's what someone who is a hearer only sees. They just see what the world says a man or a woman should be. They're not seeing the spiritual things of life. And then he moves on to verse 24, for he looks at himself and goes away, that idea of looks is the same word that we have in verse 23, and once he, and at once forgets what he was like. He forgets, he looks, he leaves, he forgets, he forgets what the mirror really showed him about who he is. He's distracted by the world and what the world says. And James's point in these two verses is if anyone hears God's word and doesn't do anything about the unrighteousness that it reveals, the sin it reveals, the ugliness that it reveals, they are like a person who takes time to look intently at their natural birth face in the mirror. They have detected that something is amiss, and then after all that effort, they just walk out and forget what they literally look like. He basically is saying, what a foolish process to go through. To come face to face with God's Word who reveals who we are in our natural flesh and then turn away from it as if we never saw a thing. He goes, what an act of foolishness. He says, but a person look at verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. He will be blessed. What is the only perfect law that we know? God's word. Psalms nineteen seven says this: "The law of the Lord is perfect." Is perfect. This perfect law that James is talking about here is not limited to just the law with a capital L, the Ten Commandments. The law that he is talking about here is all the law, is all the, the law can be actually translated teachings, all the teachings of the prophet, all the teachings of the Ten Commandments, all the teachings of the apostles up to that point in time. That's the perfect law that James is referring to. It's a law that holds up what God says this is what man should be. And we have to understand something, that people who do not hear, who only hear, they're captive, they're captive by their own sinfulness, because they can't change it on their own. And we have a here in verse 24, is a person that looks at this perfect teaching, and what does it say? Look at verse 25, the perfect law, the law of what? Liberty. You say, doesn't law, doesn't teaching confine? Doesn't it box you in? Isn't that the way we often think about that? If it's a law that I have to only go 55 and I want to go 75, oh, man, that's, ah. you know, we'll push it to 65. You know, we'll kind of obey the law and kind of not obey the law, and hopefully we have a nice police officer, which I had the other day. Yeah, oops. All right, my wife prayed for me all the way home, and when I said I got a warning, she said, praise God. But you see, I wasn't obeying the law. But you see, God's perfect law. When you look into that mirror, when you look into God's Word, and God has changed your heart, and God has saved you with, through, through faith in His Son, then this law liberates us because we are no longer sinners. We are God's children with an inheritance in heaven. It's a perfect law, a law of liberty, a law that helps us to be content in situations that other people cannot be content. It's a law that helps us to be, understand that through trials we can grow in God. It's a law, a perfect law of liberty. When we look at the word of God, it has changed our hearts and we begin to have our lives changed by that law, changed by that teaching. We are no longer confined to our sin. We are released from our sin, freed from our sin through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. To sum up James's point in this graphic analogy, there are two kinds of people that exist in this world. Who's he writing to? Just to put this in context, he's writing to believers. So he's saying there are two types of people who claim to be believers in this world. That's what he's saying. He's not talking to the world in general, is he? He's writing to those who are, were in his church, who were dispersed through persecution. He's saying there are two types of professing Christians in this world. Those who hear God's word, who think it has merit, who ponder it, and then be distracted by the world and walk away. From what what they heard, forgetting what they heard, to their hurt and to their eternal death. Then there's the other person who claims and professes Christ as their Savior. It's those who hear the Word, examine it, ponder it, and conclude that there is ugliness in my life that immediately needs to be fixed. And so they begin to do and work on the ugliness that the Word of God has revealed. And the Word of God not only reveals the ugliness and the blemishes, but He also reveals how do I go about fixing it? How do I go about doing the things that are being the person behaving the way that God wants me to? The question that needs to be asked is, which person are you, honestly? Which one are you honestly? What is your normal response when exposed to God's Word? What is your normal response when you're exposed to God's Word? Do you just read it and walk out the door and forget about it? Or if you're doing your Bible study in the morning and you go, Oh, man, I'm not behaving correctly. What's your response? What's your response? Do you just forget about it, and it has no real impact on your life? Or does your heart break when you see the ugliness of your sin, and you work hard at obeying God's word so that your life changes and you grow spiritually? And what James is showing us here is there's only two options. There's no gray area. Nobody sits in between those two things. If you're a professing Christian, you're either a hearer only, and you're deceiving yourself, or you're a hearer who has genuinely been changed by God's Word, and you are turning into a doer more and more and more as you live your life. There's only two options. There's not a gray area. So, we're going to close out today by looking in the mirror. And a lot of what is left right now is just you coming face to face with Scripture. Okay. This is just a smidgen of what God's Word says about our behavior as Christ followers that help us understand that we have genuinely been changed by Jesus Christ. And so I'm just going to read and put some passages up on the screen. I want you to reflect on them with your heart. Maybe some of these are going to be, you look at it and you go, yes, I'm growing in that area. And what does that cause for? Great praise. And other ones you're going to look at and go, whoa, uh, that's not there. And you're going to have your heart broken and your response, if you're truly a Christ follower is, Lord God, I am so sorry. This needs to change in my life. Will you please help me? John, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 4, 4, we haven't got there yet, but we're going to read it tonight. You adulterous people. Oh, that's harsh. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in what? Everything. For this pleases the Lord. There's no option. I know that there are some kids here who are really close to always keeping this true, right? They most always obey their parents i see lots of funny faces on parents right now but i'm speaking to especially to those children who have the ability to understand the abstract thought of god if you do not obey your parents and you're a hearer of this word and you choose on a consistent basis not to you need to ask yourself why because god's word is clear For us older folks, honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, this, this thing with mom and dad, okay, we're no longer to obey them in the same way, but we are to honor them. And it doesn't make any difference how good a parent they were or how bad of a parent they were. It doesn't make any difference. If they're hard to live with right now, God's word says you as a Christ follower will always honor your mom and dad, period. It has nothing to do with them earning your honor. You do it because you love them like Christ loves them. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And that means everything from driving the speed limit to filing your taxes, all this kind of stuff. He says you are under the governmental authority that God has placed you under. Is that a mark of your life? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, you are to love like Christ loved. You are to give of yourself as Christ gave of himself. And then he continues. But sexual immorality and all impurity... is not even to be named among you. There should not be even the least hint of this if you are a professing Christ follower. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. If there's sexual immorality in your life, if there's covetousness in your life, and that's a characteristic of your life, and you're not convicted right now, at the hearing of God's Word, that this must change in my life as a Christ follower, then you put yourself in that category of being a hearer only. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Ooh. No foolish talk. No crude joking, no filthiness is to even be named in your life as a Christ follower. Instead, all of that is replaced by what? Thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person day in and day out? Or do all you see is everything that's wrong in the world and how life is not working right? You have to ask yourself why? Are you a hearer only? For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, and that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom uh, of Christ and God. What's it say? If you're here only, and these things, and God's word is not changing your life, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. None. Which means what? You are not saved. I'm going to read Colossians. It was too much to put up on the screen, so if you want to turn there, Colossians chapter 3. It's a sister book to Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Verse 5 in chapter 3 of Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What does it mean by put to death? What's it mean? It's doing away with it, but it's also, when you put something to death, do you just do away with it and put it in your backyard? <laughs> you get away from it. You bury it. You hide it, it. You don't want to ever see it again. It's dead. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once, you too once walked. He says, you once walked like this, but since your salvation, you don't walk in these anymore. In these you once too walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger. Mm. Put the death anger in your life. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your, ma- from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, the knowledge of what? After the image of its creator, in the knowledge of the Bible. Then jump down to verse 12. Put on them. He says, put these off. They're to be dead to you. Remember I said he always gives you the other side. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Pretty clear. We are all in the hearing of God's Word. How many of you Find yourself growing in your ability to do these things we just read. We're not done. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best what? How many of you regularly waste time How many of you are lazy? What's a Christ follower? They don't waste the time because they realize, okay, the days are evil. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands when they deserve it. Right? No. Wives, submit to your husbands as to whom? Whom? The Lord, husbands are going, yes! Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, your wife and her desires and her needs are more important than your own, and she always comes first. Period. Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works are we stirring up one another are we prodding one another to love and good works that's just not for a pastor to do sometimes people put the let the pastors consider how to stir up one another and do good works that's not what it says who is supposed to be stirring up one another to good works everybody who is now hearing this word of god Not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. Do we see the day drawing nearer right now? Do we see the world going crazy right now? And God says, one of the major things you do is you meet together, you congregate together you come on Sundays you come on Wednesdays you go to Bible studies you go in each other's homes it's not just about Sunday and Wednesday it's about living your life together so that you can stir up one another to love and good works so that you can encourage one another you can't do that if you don't spend time with one another a Christ follower wants to spend time with other Christ followers specifically the ones that are in their local church because that's where God has placed you Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A lot of us like that last part, I will never leave you or forsake you. Thank you, Lord, you will never leave me, I'm struggling right now, I take this as a promise. The problem with that is, it's a little out of context if you think about it, just take it generally. What's the context? With money. The context is with money. If you believe that God will never leave you or forsake you, then you will never really struggle with the love of money because you know He will provide everything you need. These are just a few of the sentences of God's Word. They're just a few. We have all heard them, and now we all have to ask, am I a hearer only or am I also a doer? Many of you already know there's no doubt in your mind. But there's one more that I want us to look at. Luke 10:27 and he answered you shall love the Lord with God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself and how many times a day do we fail to do this? Multiple multiple times a day. But you want to know something that struggle is okay because it is a what struggle it's when it's not a struggle when it's not okay do you understand that is anybody here capable of ever really doing that command no it's really not how has anybody here ever loved the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength even for one second. Not if we're indwelled by sin, it isn't. But we have a God of grace and mercy, amen? And He knows our heart. He knows what's inside of us. He knows what drives us to behave certain ways. And He knows, really, if this is a desire, you can't do it, you can't obey it, But he knows, is it a heart's desire to obey? Is it something that you really, really, really want to do and you really, really desire it, just like all the other things that we've read this morning? And in his grace and his mercy, he says, I understand your heart. You see, it's not performance-based. God wants to know or does know what your heart is. He does know what your heart... He knows if these desires to follow his commands... to be doers and not just hearers. He knows if your heart wants to do. And He has provided First John 1, 9 for us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Does that mean all the sin when we fail to obey the commands? But you see, First John 1, 9 really doesn't mean much to a person who is a hearer only. First John 1 John 9 does doesn't mean much to someone who is a hearer only because they don't have the heart that it takes to want, to desire, to always do what God wants. Father God, we all bow before you this morning, convicted by your word, hearers of your word, words that so many of them were black and white, very clear pointed and father i pray that we would each have a heart a renewed heart to grow in our ability to do your word when we receive your word father help us to be in your word every day so that we know what you want for our lives help us lord god to show the world what it means to be a Christ follower because our behavior makes us different. In Christ's name, amen.